أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أتل ما أوحي إليك من الكتاب وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة تنهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون ولا تجادلوا أهل الكتاب إلا بالتي هي أحسن إلا الذين ظلموا منهم وقولوا آمنا بالذي أنزل إلينا بالذي أنزل إلينا وأنزل إليكم وإلهنا وإلهكم واحد ونحن له مسلمون وكذلك أنزلنا إليك الكتاب فالذين آتيناهم الكتاب يؤمنون به ومن هؤلاء من يؤمن به وما يجحد بآياتنا إلا الكافرون الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله أما بعد So inshallah we are about to start the 21st juz tafsir and I just want to see if any of you guys figured out the kind of prominent featuring in Surah Al-Qasas of some very particular characters. Uh, if you haven't worked it out, well, or if you have, well, this is to confirm that the, there was a very prominent array of uh, women uh, doing some really good things in Surah Al-Qasas that we discovered. So firstly, you had the discussion of the mother of uh, Musa alayhi salam, you had the discussion of his sister, you then had the discussion of the wife of Pharaoh, then you had the discussion of the two daughters of Shu'ib alayhi salam, that Musa alayhi salam helped and then he ended up marrying one of them. So that's several different women that are mentioned for uh, various different aspects represented in different ways, talking about the good characteristics and so on. So that's a very interesting uh, take away from that. Now let's move uh, on to chapter 21. This is Utluma Uhiya. It obviously carries on uh, with Suratul Ankabut. Suratul Ankabut, as you know, is the surah regarding the the spider. And we've already discussed the spider. There's several other points left in this surah, and then it goes into Suratul Rum. So Suratul Rum is the next surah. After that, it's followed by Surah Luqman. And then after that, we have Surah Al-Sajdah. And then after that, we also have Surah Al-Ahzab. Surah Al-Ahzab uh, is the last surah in the chapter 20, uh, 21, which then carries on into chapter 22. So we've got more surahs than we've had before in a single chapter. And that's why from now on, the surahs are going to be smaller. 
So it's going to be a bit more difficult, uh, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us barakah in our time to complete the entire chapters, inshallah, uh, you know, still in uh, the, the complete, uh, sup, uh, you know, complete part in one hour, inshallah. So without any other delay, let us begin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this chapter with a number of, uh, with Surah Al-Ankabut, with a number of important points in there. So... The first point that this chapter begins with, which is verse 45 of Surah Al-Ankabut is Utlu ma uhiya ilayka min al-kitab Recite that which has been revealed to you of the book Wa aqimis salah and establish the prayer Now we've seen constant repetition and reminder about establishing the prayer But in this particular case, after saying establish the prayer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions one of the greatest benefits of the prayer. That's why he says, Inna salata tanha anil fahsha'i wal munkar. That salat, it, salat prevents from immorality, unchastity, obscenity, and from wrongs, and from people doing wrong. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wala dhikrullahi akbar. The remembrance of your Lord is, is the greatest. Wallahu ya'lamu ma tasna'u, and Allah knows what you do. So, so how exactly does this relate to us and how do we benefit from this? Many of us pray but we still end up doing wrong. So what is exactly the situation here? Firstly, let us understand that the reality is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning. He is Al-Hakim Al-Khabir. He is, he, he is knowing of everything and he is the best of judge of things. So if that's what he said, then the reality is there. There's problem somewhere else if it's not working. If that's not happening then it means that the problem is somewhere else. So essentially with everything, right? Anything that you do, you get a manual, there's a certain way to use it. There are certain etiquette, certain guidelines that you need to do something in that way. You, you're, you've got a recipe to cook something. There's a very particular way that you must follow. You deviate from that, you could end up messing up that dish, that food, that cake or whatever else that you're trying to cook. Likewise with anything else as well. So there's some conditions that are mentioned here and adab. Uh, with regards to prayer, which will then produce its effects. Every salat, inshallah, will produce some effect. But if you fulfill the, if you fulfill the all the adab and everything, all the etiquettes of it, all the conditions of it properly, with a proper wudu starting from that, the right mindset and everything, then it will have the full, inshallah, the full crop of benefits, the full, inshallah, full result it will provide. And basically, if it does provide that full benefit, it means that it will become a barrier, an obstacle in between a hindrance to any evil or obscenity. We just don't want to get close to it. Sometimes people have seen that when they pray a good prayer, then they don't actually even feel inclined toward, towards even a habitual sin that they've been inclined to. Right? And they, stopped, uh, they stop uh, really focusing on their prayer, and then again they're back to it. Improve your prayer, enhance your prayer, your reverence in your prayer, your humility in your prayer, your focus in your prayer, and you'll see that all of these things, inshallah, will start happening. So it will actually, as an as a obstacle in between, one of the great tabi'een, one of the great scholars of the past, whose name was Imam Abu Aliya, right, who is a, a great muhaddith as well, he's, he basically mentions that there are three uh, characteristics of the prayer that, need, that, that it needs, or three characteristics that are needed in the prayer for it to be the full prayer. And you know, there's different observances in this regard, but in, he says, number one, there must be ikhlas. 
There must be full sincerity. Number two, there must be khashiya, reverent fear of Allah. So sincerity, I'm doing it only for Allah, not for any other reason. Number two, reverently fearing Allah, you're totally conscious. And number three, the dhikrullah. As Allah says, aqimi salata li dhikri. Now that could be interpreted in many ways. What does dhikri mean? As we've read that verse before. Dhikrullah here, according to many ulama, refers to the Qur'an. So, one is you've got ikhlas, one is you've got khashiya, which is reverent fear. And number three, you've got the recitation of the Qur'an. The Qur'an is, a, is well suited for salat. Right? So that's why the more you memorize, the better your salat can become, especially if you understand the meaning and you read it with focus. So how does it, how does it then, this is another take on how it prevents you, not just by magic. Right? One is that you pray a good prayer, that means you get connected, your connection to Allah gets stronger, that means you feel more conscious, that means you're more fearful of Allah and thus you end up doing less wrongs. Right? You develop an immunity in that sense. Another way is that it's also educational. So when you're reciting the Qur'an in prayer with that concentration in front of your Lord, how can you recite the Qur'an in any better, any better situation or any better position than in Salat? Because you're in the Lord's worship and you're reading the Lord's speech. So probably the, the best form of Qur'anic recitation that anybody could ultimately do is within the salat as the Prophet ﷺ used to do. Right? You hear about how his recitation of the Quran was in his prayer. It's a very special link. So the Quran, when you read it, it's in the prayer, it's it stops people, I mean it prevents people from wrongs. I mean, look at what we've been reading all this time. It encourages people towards right, it persuades, it dissuades. It's telling us what to do, it's telling us to develop akhlaq and character, it's sh- telling us to shun bad character, it's uh, talking about the punishment of the wrongdoers, so it's deterring us. All of that benefit is going to be happening while you're in salat reciting the Qur'an. Now subhanAllah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are probably shaking their heads and thinking, well, I don't know Arabic, when am I going to get this? Simply put, at least learn the meaning, the gist even of the surahs that you do know. And you'll see an immediate benefit, an immediate enhancement in your prayer. You'll develop the concentration that you need. And inshallah, over the years, through each Ramadan, you'll learn and you'll memorize more. If you took my advice at the beginning of the year, uh, beginning of the month, inshallah, you would have already memorized a lot more of the Quran that you, you knew before. And inshallah, that should help. So, so this is the time that uh, if somebody then does focus on that, they will develop their ikhlas, they will develop their reverent fear of Allah by reading Allah's words, and they will basically develop themselves as a human being and as a person, and thus it will start, inshallah, protecting them, aside from the just general barakah of the salat itself, if it's done well with the right kind of frame of mind. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to improve, because I'm sure many, many, many of us are suffering from, uh, from shortcomings in this regard. So may this be the turning point for us. And maybe this is the reason why sometimes our masjids are full, right? But then nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Right? Uh, we're still doing wrongs, there's still people doing wrong, people are still lying, people are still basically going against their promises, breaking covenants, right? cheating people and so on. They're still oppressing people, they're still usurping people's wealth, withholding people's rights, 
There's still uh, people who are not dressed as the Quran wants us to dress. There's people still not expressing modesty and, and uh, bashfulness and iman in the way that they should be. People are still in, engrossed in vices and, and so on. Um, subhanallah, I mean, you just go and you, you see that there are people who are praying, but still this is happening is because we're just not doing it in the right way. And I think it's probably because that we, we keep it focused until the prayer or in the masjid and then after that we're a different type of Muslim outside. Like we've got two different types of personalities, one for the prayer, one for something else. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to bring this into our communal life, in our family life, in our personal life, you know, political life, whatever, you know, in every level, akhlaq, interactions, human beings with others and so on. May Allah help us. So... After that finishes, that's just the first verse. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts discussing about the Ahlul Kitab and others. And um, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa very clear sign of uh, being the Prophet, right? One of the clear signs and miracles of him being the Prophet, right? Was the fact that he was an ummi, he was unlettered, he was uneducated in that regard, right? He didn't even know how to read or write, so, so the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with that theme saying that if he had known how to read and write, then the people who are detractors, they would say that, well, he just learned it from books or so on, right? So this is a very clear evidence everybody knew about him. And so this is one of the biggest evidences that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses. So if you look at the next few verses until verse 51, أَوَلَمْ يَكْفِهِمْ Allah says in 51 أَوَلَمْ يَكْفِهِمْ أَنَّا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ يُتْلَى عَلَيْهِمْ Isn't it sufficient they keep asking for all of these miracles and so on? Is it sufficient that we have revealed upon you the book that is recited upon them and in it is the mercy and a reminder for people who believe? So um, if you look at 40, 40, verse 48 then it says وَمَا كُنْتَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ no, وَمَا كُنْتَ تَتْلُو مِنْ قَبْلِهِ مِنْ كِتَابٍ وَلَا تَخُطُّهُ بِيَمِينٍ This is to confirm the Prophet is unlettered. You would not read before, right? There was no book that you could read before and neither would you write with your, with your right hand, right? And if, the, if you had done, then they would have been suspicious that maybe you learnt it from books. And this is one of my favourite verses. بَلْ هُوَ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمِ but rather, rather than all the written and everything, the, the real place for these verses, subhanAllah, the real place, places for these verses is that these are very clear ayat and signs in the hearts, in the chests of those who have been given the knowledge. And it's only the oppressors that will reject my, my signs. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take the ayat and allow them to be in our hearts, in, in our chest, in our inside. That's, that's really what's important. Anyway, to move on, after that, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 53-54, uh, the discussion is that, you know, why don't they see that this is a miracle? Because some of their greatest and most eloquent and best writers and composers and poets could not bring anything to match the Qur'an from a person who didn't even know initially how to read or write, right? Or who didn't know how to read or write. So that means that the only reason that they've been... Uh, rejecting it is out of stubbornness and so on, right? And sometimes stubbornness and ignorance of that level is such that it 
even used to cause them to ask for the punishment to be brought quickly. So that's why you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 50 saying, وَيَسْتَعْجِلُونَكَ بِالْعَذَابِ They tell you to bring on, they, they, they're seeking uh, the punishment to come early. And uh, Allah says, if it wasn't for the fact that you know, everything is predestined and there's a time for everything, then this punishment would have come. Right? And it would have come all of a sudden when they would be not even thinking about it. Allah reminds them about the hereafter. About, uh, so this is 53, 54. Allah reminds them about the Jahannam being basically uh, totally prepared and will encompass the disbelievers in that. Now, what you have to understand is that the Quran was a mu'jizah yesterday. It's a mu'jizah today. And it will remain a mu'jizah. And that's why, for us, to be honest, there are so many more revelations, scientific revelations, uh, geological revelations, right? Um, astronomical, re- uh, uh, what do you call it, revelations, that the Quran... What it said 1400 years ago that was unknown until you know a few years ago, a few hundred years ago. Recent excavations, recent uh, breakthroughs, understandings, research has, has shown us these things. Today it's become so much more easier actually to believe in the Quran if somebody just opens their heart up. So, uh, also, the other thing is that language has become quite global. The Quran in those days, in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Quran had not been translated. You had to literally, you would have probably had to do a translation. Now, the Quran is available in all languages. Tafsirs are available in so many languages. So, the Quran is accessible to everybody. That's why the, the, the mu'jiza aspect of the Quran is actually only increasing day by day. What Allah tells us then in verse 56 to 59 uh, about those people who uh, are muttaqeen, who try to follow, right? That sometimes you're going to have to migrate. Sometimes, you know, you may have to leave. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 56, Ya ibadi alladheena amanu, inna ardi wasi'ah. Right? My, my, my earth, my land, right, is the amount of space here is, is abundant. Right? It's, uh, it's very vast, it's expansive. Right? And then, and then it reminds that, look, at the end of the day, don't worry, because every death, every life, every human, every living being is going to eventually get death anyway. So why are you scared to move out from persecution so that you can fulfill your deen and faith properly somewhere else? You're scared that maybe you can't earn enough. But... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells them that uh, Allah says it beautifully You see, every time He says something different So He says um, In uh, Following up from that uh, Which was verse 57 Kullu nafsin da'iqatul maut Right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says In verse 60 وَكَأَيَّ مِن دَابَةٍ لَا تَحْمِلُ رِزْقَهَا How many An animal and a beast there is Which doesn't carry its food around with it Right? Its sustenance with it Allahu yarzuquha wa iyyakum Allah is the one that will sustain it and also sustain you right so wherever you go don't not go because you think you're not going to be able to make a living we know we've known the story of so many people i know personally who move from one place to the other because of some persecution or difficulties or whatever and they did probably better off when they went to another place because there's that struggle right that you have to do there's probably a psychological and a spiritual reason for that 
So never, never, that, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring here. Anyway, to move on, maybe what we can say if we turn the page to the last verse, right, which is verse 69 of the surah, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا Right? That those who make an effort in our way for us, right, for our sake, for Allah's sake, whether that be migration, whether that be da'wah, whether that be struggles to pray, whether that be struggles to wear a hijab, whether that be struggles to pray at your workplace, whatever it is. Remember, if you, one of the main uh, themes of this surah, of Surah Al-Ankabut, as it started, It's about the challenges that you will face. It's about the trials that will come to you. So basically, Allah ends the surah beautifully by saying that if you do have to go through this test remember you're not doing it for nothing it's not in vain it's not redundant because those who make an effort for us any effort right and if this is what's stopping you that you're just worried about things then remember Allah that we are going to open up these paths for them we're going to open up our paths for them in fact and that means paths of this world and inshallah paths of the hereafter success all the way you make that effort وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the muhsineen. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the muhsineen. So work hard against the shaitan and against the nafs and against people who try to mislead us. And insha'Allah, sa'ada and good fortune is us. This is really something to ponder over. Now to hurry up and to move on, Surah Al-Rum. Right? We don't have too much time, subhanAllah. Surah Al-Rum is a Makki surah. Right, it's the next surah. It only has 60 verses with about 10 verses to a section, so about six sections. And subhanallah, this gives you another type of the miracle aspect of the Quran, which is a foretelling of the Quran, an amazing one at that. Right, and you have to put this in perspective. You see, the, the scene in the time when the Prophet started his propagation is that the dominant power in the world, you had two major powers, but the dominant powers, the Persians, they were just all over the place. And they had in fact encroached into many of the, uh, the Roman areas, the Roman towns and so on, and the, um, what's his name, the, the Roman emperor of the time, his name was Heraclius, he was actually beseeching them, and uh, it come to such a degree as uh, Edward Gibbons, the famous historian, who, who, you know, who's written The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, right? he talks about um, the, the fact that Heraclius was basically uh, at a point where he was kind of on his knees, you could say, just for survival, begging the Persians not to completely destroy them. Right? So now you can tell that's an, um, you know, a really... Um, it's a time when the Romans are completely dominated, completely subjugated in that sense, and they're at their weakest, it seems. Wallahu anam, right? I don't know the full Roman history, but they're at their very, uh, very weakest point. So it's at the time when the Persians had uh, taken, a, you know, had, had really encroached into the Roman lands. So this is how it begins. Alif la mim, rum. The Romans have become uh, defeated or have become overwhelmed, right? Fi adnal ardi. In the very close by land. So this is probably part of the southern of Syria, the th- southern of Sham, called Busra, where Imam Nawawi is from, right? Be- be- below Damascus. It's probably the closest area to the Arabian Peninsula of Sham. So that, that, there's a special area down there where they just won a, 
uh, another one of their wars uh, uh, with the Romans. So it says that they've just suddenly won and the Romans have been defeated. But this is now the Prophet Now imagine a Prophet, would he ever say this? If there was a false, sorry, if there was a false imposter, would he ever put his neck out like this, right? To basically support the underdogs, which is the Romans at the time, to say this, that okay, while the Romans have been defeated right now and the Persians have reigned supreme, but in just a few years, and the word they use, is, the word is, that's used is, وَهُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ غَلَبِهِمْ سَيَغْلِبُونَ فِي بِذْعِ سِنِينَ Even the number of years, maximum nine. In a maximum of nine years, the Romans are going to get the upper hand again. Now imagine if somebody's an imposter, would they ever take such a gamble? Because it just doesn't make sense. Yes, if they felt they were going to win, then yes. But nobody thought, even Heraclius himself, the Roman Empire, thought that this is, you know, at their weakest. But this is exactly what happened. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَمْرُ مِنْ قَبْلِ وَمِنْ بَعْدِ For Allah is the affair. The affairs are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from before and later, regardless of the situation. وَيَوْمَئِذٍ يَفْرَحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ And Allah gives such, you know, through the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ, gives such a prophecy that that will be a day when the believers will be extremely joyous. That will be a day of great satisfaction. بِنَصْرِ With the assistance of Allah, يَنْصُرُ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Allah helps whoever he wants because He has all might and He's the merciful one. وَعْدَ Allah. This is a wa'da of Allah. Can you believe any imposter saying these things? Because they know that they're, they're, they're setting themselves up. Allah, this is the promise of Allah. Allah does not go against His promise. But the majority of people do not know. Allahu Akbar. In seven years, against all odds, the Romans take over. Right? The Romans become stronger and the Romans basically become dominant. Now, you see, the backdrop of all of this is that the Mushrikeen, they inclined towards the Persians because they were fire, fire worshippers, so they were polytheists of sorts. Whereas when it comes to the, Mus, uh, the, the, the Muslims, they were always more in support of the Romans at the time because the Romans were Christians. Right? That was a Christian empire at the time after, after uh, Constantine earlier on. And basically, uh, because they were people of God, at least they claimed to be monotheists, they claimed to be people of God and so on. That's why when the, when the Romans were defeated and the Persians gained the upper hand, the Mushrikeen really started having a go at the small group of Muslimin, that look, th th this is exactly what's happening against your kind of people and so on. So that, that's why when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this, people started laughing, right? That, you know, what are you saying? How is this even possible? Like, you know, they, they just don't have any right. But subhanAllah, within a few years, and I'm belaboring this point because this is a very important event that's mentioned in the Qur'an. And as Edward Gibbon, he basically says, he comments on the prophecy of the Qur'an. He actually knows about this, right? He says, at a time when this prediction is said to have been delivered, no, prob no prophecy could be more distant from its accomplishment since the first 12 years of Heraclius announced the approaching dissolution of the empire. Right? So Heraclius' first 12 years were like, we're going to end. And then subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has this. That's why there was even Ubay ibn Khalaf, one of the Meccans. He actually even made a bet with Abu Bakr radiallahu an. Right? He said that if what your Prophet is saying doesn't come to be true, then you have to pay me a hundred camels. And if it does come to be the true and the Romans dominate, then I'll pay you a hundred camels. And within seven years it came to be true and he paid him. He actually, he died by that time. He died, his inheritors paid 
the hundred camels. So the, Abu Bakr came to the Prophet and said that this is a, a bet, this is a two-way bet which is not halal. So the Prophet encouraged him to, uh, told him to give it fi sabilillah, to basically give them in charity. Right? So this is an amazing, this is really something to think about. And if anybody's looking for a miracle of the Quran that they can explain to people, this is a historical case. You can look at Gibbon's book along at the same time, right, to understand this. Anyway, beyond that, uh, beyond the prophecy that's mentioned uh, in this verse, then the rest of the major themes and the major events that are discussed here are as follows. Number one. There's a major discussion between uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the difference between the Hizbul Rahman and the Hizbul Shaytan. So that's the group of the merciful one and the group of the Shaytan and basically how they're going to end uh, and what the ending of them is going to be. So if you read that, you'll find it about the Day of Judgment and then you look at verse 13, uh, sorry, 14, 15, the Day, the, day of Judgment, uh, the, the, the final hour will occur, then they will separate. As for those who then believe and do good deeds, they're going to be in, mashallah, wonderful meadows, enjoying themselves, wonderful meadows, right? And those who are disbelieving and who denied our verses and the meeting of the hereafter, they're going to be presented to the punishment. So, فَسُبْحَانَ حِينَ تُمْسُونَ وَحِينَ تُسْبِحُونَ وَلَهُ الْحَمْدُ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Telling us the different times when... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should definitely be praised. Then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves on to about His greatness, about His hand behind, His control being behind everything. And thus, you have the discussion, for example, in verse 19, that discusses how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the living out of the dead, and the dead out of the living. So you have ground that is basically like dead, that nobody thinks is gonna, anything is going to happen in there. And suddenly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out from there through the seeds. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out uh, beautiful trees, crops, plants, fruits, and so on. And likewise, you've got, uh, you know, an egg, from that comes the chicken, you know, from that comes animals, and so on and so forth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions all of these things. So if you read the next ones, this, these next five or six are basically major signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He tells us to ponder over. They're very interesting. The first one of them is that Allah created you from soil, which either means that He either created your forefather, Adam alayhi from soil, right? That's in starting from verse 20, basically, those who are following. Otherwise, it means that Allah creates you, and then after that, everything you consume has to start from the soil generally, right? Unless it's fish in the water. Then the second one, is uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about creating the husband and wife relationship and placing between them such love and mercy right, that they actually seem to be one. And saying that this is, therein, therein is signs for those who think. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, among his signs is also the creation of the heavens and the earth and also your different languages and your different color tones. And there is again a sign in there for the worlds. Then there is another sign is basically you're sleeping in the daytime or nighttime, which again is a ni'mah of Allah, because if you didn't sleep, your body will really, really suffer. So that is also another thing Allah is providing. And then, of course, you're seeking for His grace. And again, in there is a sign for those people who listen. Then there's the sign that Allah says that He shows you the lightning, right, out of fear. But then when the lightning goes and then the rain comes down, Allah provides the rain and by that, by that which was something of fear that you, you initially thought was, uh, was, uh, was uh, terrifying, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates from that 
uh, Allah creates, Allah basically enlivens the earth with that and He produces so many crops. And again, there is a sign in there as well for people who think or for who comprehend, who, who think like this. And then there's another sign is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you look up at the heavens, how the heavens are staying up there, uh, how the stars are staying up there, the planets are staying up there in orbit, they're not falling, falling down, right? Whereas from a worldly perspective, we understand that gravity pulls us down. And then not just that, but just the fact that how we're staying on the earth, even though the earth is round and wherever people are, whether you're in Australia, whether you're in New Zealand, whether you're in uh, the North Pole, you stay on the ground and you're not upside down. I mean, all of these ama amazing things for him is everything in the heavens and the earth. There's a number of other, Allah provides a number of other examples and so on. You can read that inshallah for yourself. I'm going to jump to 47, 48. At the end of that verse 47, it says, If you look at that and from beforehand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses that He will always, there will always be assistance for the believers. Now, if believers are finding themselves without assistance for a very long time, there's always going to be difficulties, but if they find themselves without assistance, then basically they should really introspect that are we doing something wrong? Right? Are we basically, have we adopted the ways of disbelievers? Right, and the disbelievers have actually adopted some of the good ways of the believers, and that's why they're learning. And Subhanallah, this is a reality in some cases. Right, some of the times the law and order, the justice aspects, is better off in some uh, you can so-called disbelieving places as opposed to in believing places. So this is a quite a complicated idea that people need to really look at. It's quite profound and deep. It's not as simple as that I profess to be a believer and that's why everything should then just happen you know, to my benefit, right? And I should always be victorious. No, there, there's a lot of um, responsibility that comes with it. There's a lot of conditions that come with that. And sometimes, subhanAllah, if we're not fulfilling that condition, then it's an issue. Anyway, then it carries on and there's a number of other things that if you look at uh, verses um, 19 to 27, 46 to 50, all of that is basically about the evidences of the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards the end of the surah uh, talks to the kuffar of Makkah, to the disbelievers of Makkah, and um, who, don't, who didn't used to listen to the verses of Allah and so on, telling them to focus and so on. And finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاصْبِرْ إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقٌ وَلَقَدْ ضَرَبْنَا Actually before that in verse... 58 Again, we've provided all sorts of examples in this Quran Right, for people And uh, finally Allah says فَاصْبِرْ إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ Be patient because Allah's promise is truthful And um, that's how the, the surah ends with, that, with those verses After that, we start Um the next surah I think I've pretty much pointed out Everything that I wanted to point out here And of course you can read it for more detail But uh, the next chapter is Surah Luqman Right, so we got Surah Luqman We got Surah Al-Sajda Now Surah Luqman is actually A very famous surah with some very very famous advices Because it's speaking about Luqman He's not a prophet Very wise man But so wise Right, and so wise and so beneficial in that sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to mention his advices in the Quran and a whole surah is revealed after him. Right, is revealed with, with his name rather. 
right? Which just shows amazing that it doesn't have to be just prophets. There were other people as well who's been given some wisdom and so on. Though the prophets have the highest level of wisdom. Surah Luqman again is a Makki surah, 32 verses only, and it can be split up into four sections. And it starts off again alif la mim, and that's why it says tilka ayatul kitab al hakim. We've only seen one surah that start, starts with huruf muqatta'at that did not immediately start speaking about the Quran. So anyway, this one does, and it goes on uh, for uh, discussing the Quran and then the muhsineen, those who do good, right? That, that's who the Quran is for, who established the prayer, gives zakat and so on. And then Allah says, they are the people who are on the guidance of their Lord and they will be the successful ones. The discussion moves on to, uh, again, the believers and uh, the disbelievers. The believers are those who accept the Quran, disbelievers, those who reject the Quran, and most of them reject it actually without even reading it, right? Subhanallah, you know, we've got very, no, non-Muslims should tell them to read the Quran. They should really read the Quran. Alhamdulillah, I've been told that we've got a number of non-Muslims who actually listen to this tafsir, which God bless you. Thank you very much. You know, that, that's a really good start. Uh, those who do listen, uh, who, who don't want to listen, even if it's read in front of them, they basically want to close their ears or they, that's why it says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِ آيَاتُنَا verse 8 uh, verse 7 rather that when our verses are recited وَلَّا مُسْتَكْبِرُونَ they run away turn their back and run away كَأَلَّمْ يَسْمَعْهَا as though they didn't listen to it they're almost like scared of hearing it كَأَنَّ فِي أُذُنَيْهِ وَقْرَى as though they've got like a cork a kind of a, a stopper in their ears فَبَشِّرْهُ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ the Quran uses this kind of uh, expression sometimes. Give them the glad tidings of a severe punishment. Anyway, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the goodness of the believers and what they're going to get in paradise and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions some other signs. If you look at verse 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, again, in, in one verse in this time, all the various different uh, major phenomena in the heavens and the earth about the, the, uh, the earth being spread for you and, and so on and animals and and, and uh, the, the water from the heavens and so on. How, however, he says, هذا خلق الله. This is the creation of Allah. فَأَرُونِي مَاذَا خَلَقَ الَّذِينَ مِن دُونِ Can you show me what those besides Allah that you follow, whoever, right, have created? No, these oppressors are in clear deviance. And then from verse 12 is where the story of Luqman salam begins. So Allah starts off by saying that we gave Luqman wisdom and says that you should thank Allah. So if anybody has been given wisdom, right, you should thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Because whoever does thank Allah, it's to his own benefit. He's thanking Allah for his own benefit. And uh, if you don't and you show ungratefulness, well, Allah doesn't need anybody. He's the praiseworthy one himself and he's independent anyway. Anyway, then it talks about Luqman salam talking to his son, none other than his son, which gives us an understanding that parents should speak to their children like that. So he, still, he gives his son the following few advices. Okay? Um, you can read the verses for yourself. They're very beautiful, right? And uh, the following advices are what are given. Essentially, there are five major points that he provides him, five major ideas uh, in terms of the advice that he provides him. They are so comprehensive that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to mention here, right? They regards worship, they regard akhlaq and so on. Anyway, the first one is that do not do shirk, right? Do not impartner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a huge oppression. And... Um, be good with your parents and especially I mean um, he's saying that look yes if your parents do force you to disbelieve then you can't listen to them but you still need to treat them and give them company in the world in a beautiful way alright 
And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, sorry, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Luqman alayhi salam's second advice is that it's more related to the hereafter in the sense that whatever you do, smallest issue, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring it out in the open. Everything is reported, everything is recorded. I mean, we know that from basically the way Google and Amazon and all that keep all of our data. Number three is basically saying that you need to focus on Allah, right, in general. Now he says that through different ways. Number one, aqim salah. He tells his son to establish the prayer. And then number two, he says, do amr bil ma'roof, command the right, and prohibit the evil. And then whatever difficulty may come in your path, be patient over that difficulty, right? And that is basically the resoluteness of the affair. That's how that happens. That's the fourth one. And the last one is more about akhlaq and character. Basically, don't turn your cheek away from the people. Right, which basically means that don't ignore people, don't turn away people from people in you know in arrogance and so on. Don't walk on the earth in an exulting, uh, bragging manner, because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala does not like every swaggering braggart. Now that's a translation I learned from um, a friend of mine's translation. It's very beautiful, right? A swaggering braggart. Don't be a swaggering braggart. Basically, waqsid fi mashik. Be moderate in your walking gait. Right, and also take it easy in your voice, in your sound, in the way you speak to people around, because the worst of sounds is the sound of a donkey. Right, so don't make your sound like that, the braying of a donkey. Anyway, so that's the most important advices. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to learn from that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then discusses from the next section, uh, basically, again, the discussion with the mushrikeen, and Allah gives a number, a very beautiful section this is, right? Um, it, it, uh, for those who are hafiz, they find this quite difficult because it's got so many similarities to other places. But basically Allah is then discussing various different signs of his and asking them questions and so on. And the last verse of this, of this chapter, of this surah, is verse 34. And in this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, famous verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this discusses the five keys to the unseen. Right? The five keys to the unseen. Before we look at that, just quickly look at verse 27. I just want to point it out. It's very similar. Uh, it's got a similar theme to the last verses of Surah Al-Kahf, which is about if you make, made all the trees in this world, the wood from there into pens, right? And if you took the seven oceans, as you learn there, into ink, it still would not basically be able to complete the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I'll let you look at that and compare that with that and complement it with that. But the final verse here, is Allah says the five things that only Allah knows. Number one, Allah, only Allah knows the day of judgment. Number two, He is the one who reveals the rain. Now you might say, well, we've get, we get predictions about the rain, forecasts. We have apps that show it to us, newscasts. Those are all, those are all because they see signs and they show, show that. A lot of the time that could go wrong. Another meaning of it is Allah knows when He reveals the rain, how much He's going to reveal, how much it's going to be what it's going to do, what benefit it's going to provide, or what harm it's going to bring. A full, thorough understanding of exactly what's going to happen with every bit of rain. A lot of the time we get a prediction that it's going to forecast it's raining today, it doesn't rain afterwards. Or that it's not going to rain and then it rains as well. Only Allah knows the absolute. Likewise, He's the only one who knows what's in the stomach of the womb. You might say today you can figure that out today. For the most part you can figure out whether it's a boy or girl. But can you figure out 
what, what this person is going to be, what his profile is going to be, who he's going to be or she is going to be, what they're going to do, what their accomplishments are going to be, what they're going to be like, how long they're going to live for. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that from the time they're in their, in their womb. And number four, uh, only Allah knows what you're going to earn tomorrow. Who knew that big companies are going to close down? Who knew that this is going to happen the way it is? Who knew the government had to step in and you know, pay for furloughed workers and so on? Right? And so on. Nobody knows what you can expect that you got a salary, you got a steady job. But at the end of the day, nobody really knows what exactly you're going to get tomorrow for 100%. And finally, nobody knows the land in which they're going to die. Now, most people know where they're going to die or they expect to know where they're going to die because they, they don't travel. They're going to die there. But a lot of people, right, sometimes, subhanAllah, they're gone for Umrah. They've gone on a holiday. They've gone to visit somewhere else and they die there without realizing. Only Allah knows exactly where you will eventually die, in which place you're going to die. And that is a very famous verse. So it's something to ponder over. Verse 34 of Surah Al-Sajdah. Allahu Akbar. Now, uh, sorry, of uh, Surah Al-Luqman. Now we start... And we discussed Surah Al-Sajda. Surah Al-Sajda, why is it called Surah Al-Sajda? It's a verse of prostration. Uh, there are 14 uh, prostration verses in the Quran. In fact, 15, because there's one which was at the end of Surah Al-Hajj, uh, which we read, which uh, is a Sajda verse according to the Shafi'is, but not according to the Hanafis. And there's another verse which is according to Shafi'is, but uh, according to Hanafis, but not according to Shafi'is, etc. So there are 14. So why this one? There's one verse in, of sajda here which you'll see in verse 15. Is that why it's called sajda? Well, probably yes, that is why it's called sajda. Um, they decided to call this one the sajda. There is another one called hamima sajda that we're going to be looking at as well. Right? That's a hamima sajda which we'll be uh, looking at in the next few days. So this, there are two surah to sajdas in the Quran. One is surah to sajda, one is surah hamima sajda. So inshallah, it's because it's got the prominent sajda verse in there. However, this is a very important surah. The Prophet ﷺ, it was his custom to recite this surah in the first rak'ah of the fajr prayer on a Friday morning. So the Friday fajr, he would read this first, and in the second rak'ah, he would recite surah al-insan. They're both very profound surahs in terms of their meaning, in terms of what they provide. And that's why it has a very special relationship with Friday and the whole week. Right? So we will, uh, I'll explain to you the main themes in here. Surah Al-Sajdah has only 30 verses. As you can see, we're getting a bit smaller and it has three sections. It's probably the 75th surah to be revealed and it is still a Makki surah. Right, so we're still on the Makki surahs. The next one, I think it's a Madni surah. That we, yes, the next one is a Madni surah, a Madinan surah. This one is a Meccan surah. Of, of course, it starts with Alif La Mim. So as usual, it starts off with Tanzilul Kitabi La Raybafihi Min Rabbil Alamin. Revelation of the book. There is no, a revi- uh, the, 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 this is a revelation of the book. There's no doubt in it. It's from the Lord of the Worlds. Do they say he has fabricated it, but it is the truth, and so on and so forth. That whole discussion is there. So the ajaz of the Qur'an is discussed that basically it is such a truthful book because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all of these things that he mentions. Now, one very important verse is verse 5. يُدَبِّرُ الْأَمْرَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ Allah is the one who administrates all the matters of the heavens, from the heavens to the earth. He is the administrator of all of those things. And then there's the discussion about then these things rise to him and go up to him, right? In a day whose amount is a thousand years, whose period is a thousand years from that which you count. 
Now this is not the time to go into the details of that But you can inshallah you can look it up And then after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala beautifully says this Right about his ihsan in everything In verse 7 Alladhi ahsana kulla shay'in khalaqahu The one who's beautifully You know uh, everything is created He's made beautiful He's made proportionate He's made perfect And then he started the human creation From soil And then the continuous discussion Of how the embryo grows And is created Over and over again That's mentioned in the Quran It was something unknown to the people At that time How that exactly happened You see the main, One of the main themes of this surah Is talking about the oneness of Allah And his kudra His power His omnipotence is being basically mentioned here through all of the different uh, characteristics. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth and, and the human being and so on. And then after that, the, another theme in there is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, discusses the believers and the disbelievers. And it goes on to the day of judgment. And it shows basically the endings of everything and how graphically it depicts that. That's why the verse of the sajda is uh, basically saying that those who believe in my verses, when they're reminded, right, of uh, the, 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 the signs, they fall into prostration. And they glorify the praise of their Lord, right, and they do not act arrogantly. May Allah make us of those. And then he mentions the characteristics of the believers. تَتَجَافَ جُنُوبُهُمْ عَنِ الْمَضَاجِئِ their sides remain separated from their beddings. And they're calling on to their Lord in fear and in hope. And they spend of that which we have given them. May Allah make us of them. When, when, when is the day? I mean, this is Ramadan. This is the time for this, right? Where you get up for tahajjud. Because generally a time when everybody else is sleeping is the time when you want to stay away from that bed. Staying away from the bed in the daytime is, is just, to, just to say that you're not foolish and lazy. But it's at night time where you wake up in the night. And subhanAllah, the nights are so short, right? So short, especially these days, that a person can actually, you know, stay up the whole night and do a lot of the reading and so on. Especially when you're not working, you've got flexible hours of working and so on. Allow us, Allah, allow us to be characterized this way and they spend of that which we have basically given them you know which uh, which has been given to them and Allah then says in the next verse 17 I, I love this verse every time I read it nobody knows what gladness and joy of the eyes has been kept concealed for them right as a reward for what they used to do Allah is telling you the reward of the good that you will do. He's got amazing hidden bounties, joys, pleasures, amusements, and luxuries for you. Right? The theme park of paradise. Right? The, the various different themes of amusements and enjoyments is out of this world. It's hidden. It's hidden. As the hadith mentions as well. That's why Allah then says, Afaman kana mu'minan. The person who is a believer, can, can they be like the one who is a transgressor? They can never be the same. And then after that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes all the, what the believers are going to get. And then basically the final part of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Musa alayhi salam as well. That Musa alayhi salam, we gave him the book 
and um, and and we also gave him the book and so on. Uh, the Torah, basically, we gave him the Torah, and that is telling the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that you know whatever ha- happened to Musa alayhi salam, similar could happen to you, right? At the end of the day, the goodness is going to be for the righteous people. That's why Allah says in the last verses, they ask, When is this victory going to come? When is this opening going to come? If you're truthful, قُلْ يَوْمَ الْفَتْحِ لَا يَنْفَعُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا إِيمَانُهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يُنْظَرُونَ When that day comes, then those who are disbelievers there bringing faith at that time will be of no benefit and they will not be given any respite afterwards. Then the Prophet ﷺ is told, فَأَعْرِضْ عَنْهُمْ وَانْتَظِرْ So just ignore them and wait. إِنَّهُمْ مُنْتَظِرُونَ because they're waiting. Alhamdulillah, that allows us uh, to complete that surah. So let us try, you know, if we can memorize this, and we have memorized it, those who are Hufad, try to read this this Friday uh, morning, tomorrow morning, inshallah, in your Fajr prayers, right? With Surah Al Insan in the second one. Surah Al Ahzab starts from here and it ends in the next chapter. So we'll cover some of it here. Surah Al-Ahzab is a Madani Surah now, right? After a ch- it's a, a bit of a change after all of these Makki Surahs. It's a bit of a change. 73 verses, still relatively short. Nine, it's got nine, so actually it's longer than the previous Surah though, previous two Surahs in fact. And there are, essentially we can reduce it down to three major themes in this, three major issues that are discussed here. Number one, certain adab for social life, social issues, right? Certain etiquettes and rulings about that. Um, uh, social life Number two Certain rulings uh, Regarding that Right There are certain rulings That I will mention I'll explain to you And um, uh, the, Then The other discussion Is about expeditions So it talks about two The Banu The, the Banu Qurayza uh, the, the, the battle with the Banu Qurayza Not really a battle But it was kind of a Issue with the Banu Qurayza But more bigger than that Or greater than that Was The Ghazwatul Ahzab That's why it's called Suratul Ahzab Ahzab Plural of Hizb the groups, the comrades, the comrades, uh, the, 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 the various different alliances. This was hitherto the greatest amount of people who had come together ever in the Arabian Peninsula for a battle against someone. Because before it used to be tribes uh, against other tribes, two, three tribes maybe. But this time they pretty much mustered most of the major tribes of Arabia, including the huge Ghatafan tribe, which was from the north of Arabia. The opposite side to where Makkah is, uh, from, from where Medina, uh, you know, to where Medina Munawwara is. All right. So that's the three major things that I mentioned here, and uh, basically during all of that, the the uh, issue with the Munafiqeen and how they try to sabotage a lot of that and cause problems and things like that. So. These are the most important things. It starts off differently. It says, Ya ayyuhan nabiyu attaqillaha wa la tuti'il kafirin wal munafiqin inna Allah kana aliman hakima O Prophet, fear Allah and do not obey the disbelievers and the hypocrites. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing, all-wise. Wattabi' ma yuha ilayka min rabbik and follow that which has been inspired to you by your Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware of what you do and rely upon Allah. Allah is sufficient for you as a patron. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next verse. Now, if you notice here, until today, until what we've read so far, and you can keep checking this, does the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ever be addressed by Allah by Ya Muhammad? And you'll be hard pressed to find that. You won't find that. Even here is Ya Ayyuhan Nabiyyu. Oh my, oh my Prophet, oh Prophet. 
Anyway, verse 4 is about something very interesting. Allah says that Allah has not put two hearts into any man. In the cavity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given two hearts to any man. Very interesting, He didn't say to any human, to any insan, to any person. He said man. Because sometimes, subhanallah, women do have two hearts in them. They have the heart of their embryo, their baby, in their hearts as well. That's amazing. But why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention? Well, there are several things that we can take from here. Firstly, in the Jahiliyyah, they had this idea, right? Um, it was a completely ignorant idea that uh, um, some people have, you know, people can have two hearts in their heart. And that's why with one thing you can believe one thing, with another you can believe. And there's some other ideas that they had like that. So Allah first responds to that and said, there is nothing like that. Right? Because if your heart is filled with iman, it will be, you can't have kufr in there. And if it's got kufr, you can't have iman in there. So you're going to have belief or disbelief. You can't have both of them. That's why this basically really shows, the, especially the munafiqeen as well, that this hypocrisy, where a bit that's, and that way it's a massive dissonance for you. Right? It's a cognitive dissonance. It's really harmful for you. It's a sickness. Right? It's bad for you. It's a mental state. It's a mental health problem. Right? That's one thing Allah mentions. The second thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, immediately after that in the same verse is that they used to think that if they said, they used to say crazy things. They used to think that if they said um, to their wife that you are now like my mother's back or my mother's face or my mother's hand or whatever, which means just the way that my mother is haram upon me, you're also haram upon me, then basically that would be that they could never touch them again. Right? They would become haram forever. So Allah is saying that while that's wrong for you to do that, it doesn't make them haram forever. You can actually pay a penalty and she'll become halal for you again. Right? I don't know if today people still say these things even among the Arabs. I mean, it's a bit weird. I, I know of people who, say, uh, who said this kind of in mistake but not uh, premeditating, right? in a premeditated fashion. So anyway, that, that's called vihar in Arabic. In the fiqh books, you can check it up. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, uh, discusses the thing about fostering or adopting children. That you can't call these children your own. I mean, you can call them your own in the sense that you brought them up, but not as your biological children. That's, pro that's a prohibition and that's actually mentioned here. So that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, according to the custom of the Arabs at the time where you could do this, where you could bring a child and basically attribute him to, he to you, because in those days, you know, to attribute, the more children you could attribute to yourself, the bigger, you know, the, the more your strength was. So, at that time, there was a custom. So, the Prophet ﷺ had done this with Zayd ibn al-Haritha as well, right? So, um, as soon as this verse was revealed, he made it very clear that Zayd is ibn al-Haritha and not the son of Muhammad. He's not Zayd ibn Muhammad, he's Zayd ibn al-Haritha. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it very clear that where the Prophet ﷺ can say is the son of Muhammad for Zayd, that is fine because... Um, it's not his biological children. Everybody is a spiritual child of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That's why uh, in verse six, an Nabiyu awla bil mu'minin. The Prophet has is the most entitled to the believers. Wa min min anfusim, even compared to their own selves. Wa azwajuhu ummahatum, and his wives are their spiritual mothers. That's why we refer to the Prophet's wives uh, as our mothers, like ummahatul mu'minin, as we say. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says um, in another verse that you cannot marry, you can, you can, that's why you cannot marry uh, the wives of the Prophet sallallahu even after the Prophet sallallahu has passed away. Thereafter, from verse 9 is the beginning of the battles now. 
right? So this is talking about Ghazwatul Ahzab and Ghazwatul Banu Quraidah. Ghazwatul Ahzab, just quick understanding, Ghazwatul Ahzab took place in fifth, uh, in Shawwal of the fifth Hijri. So that's uh, the month after Ramadan, after Eid, fifth, fifth, uh, fifth of Hijrah. And this is where the, as I said, the Mushrikeen, the, uh, the pagans of Mecca, to get revenge after the Badr and Uhud, which has already been discussed in the Quran, to take revenge, they mustered up, they rallied all the major tribes, and they got together, this is the first time they had so much, 10 to 15,000 fighters. And they came and basically they besieged Medina Munawwara. The Prophet obviously had found out about it. So that's why when he asked for what to do, because they could never, you know, they, would not, they didn't have the physical strength to counter this. So that's why Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anh, gave him an idea from the Persians that let's dig a trench. So if this is Medina Munawwara, they dug a trench on the northern part of it. In the southern part was already protected because of the huge forts that the Jews had. So there was a, there'd been an agreement and a treaty with all the Jewish tribes that basically you'll protect us, we'll protect you and we're not allowed to basically uh, uh, support any of our enemies against one another. That was an agreement with them. That was their mutual pact that they had with them. So they were going to protect the southern area. And then the northern area is where basically today you have the seven masajid. It's in the north, northern side of uh, the, the masjid. And that's where you have the seven masjids that they take you on ziyarah for. That's essentially where the khandak was. All right? And then you got, obviously you've got some mountains on the other sides as well. So that way they would be protected because the forts would protect the southern side and the trench would, forget, uh, f- would protect the northern side. So what happens now is they all come together and they basically uh, gather there and they're waiting to try to get across because the trench is protecting them and the Prophet and all the people have been positioned in different places. That's why those seven mosques, they're named after Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman and, and others because those were their command posts where eventually they built masjids, right? Uh, um, that, that's basically what it was. Now, the, the, they, they besieged Medina Munawwara for about one month, for one month. And the Muslims were very, very small. I think they only had about 3,000 people or something, right? And uh, you had the Banu Ghatafan as well, huge tribe from the north as well. Now, what happened is, Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud Ghatafani, with a lot of his efforts and so on, he, he managed to basically create a rift in between the Jewish tribes that had uh, the Banu Quraidah, who had basically supported Abu Sufyan, right, from the Meccan tribes. So he managed to cause a bit of a dissension there and also then after a month Allah they weren't able to get in so they weren't many people killed during this because there was that big trench that was in between but eventually what happened is there was a huge storm big wind that came that basically uprooted a lot of their tents and it basically caused the, uh, the, the animals to run amok as well and because of that um, they finally lost uh, they, they finally lost you know they, they weren't into doing sieges they were just into going and killing people so I guess they lost a lot of their um, morale and everything like that. So Abu Sufyan decided that let's go back. So that's why they retreated. So that's why Alhamdulillah there wasn't a major battle. They, they did not take Medina Murawa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assisted the believers. But the emotion that was going on at that time, you know, when they're outside, huge group, you know, outnumbering you four or five times because they were only 3,000 Muslims, right? So basically, uh, all the emotions in that you can read in this surah. It's quite amazing. Right? When they came from above you, they came from below you. When Izzaghatil Absar wa Balagatil Qulubul Hanajir, what the Dhununa Billahi Dhununa, if you read verse 10 of that, right? Where 
basically your eyes were uh, you know lifted up in a sense that you know what's going to happen your your hearts had basically as they say jumped to your throats and you started thinking of all sorts of ideas about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what's going to happen now what are we in now this is it we're finished now this is when the believers were severely tested right that's an earthquake they they were shook they were shaken right in a very severe way and then it mentions what the munafiqeen were saying that when those people with nifaq and uh, hypocrisy in their heart and disease in their heart they were saying that you know all of this promise that Allah and his messenger have given us it's all been deception and so on and um, and and it's it's quite it's quite a um, it's quite, it, 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 you know you, you can you can read this inshallah and really kind of try to understand their uh, emotions emotions from this and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically uh, saying in verse uh, 21 right to give calm to the believers as well لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ for you in the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the perfect paradigm is the prophetic paradigm right uswatun hasana is the if you want the perfect role model the perfect exemplar then you'll find that in the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that's where we learn that we want to copy him and emulate in what he does people wonder why do you want to be like the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam right this is a major thing in islam and i think the christians have some of it to be like jesus in the jewish tradition i've seen it different I remember one interfaith program I was in the, the, the rabbi who was actually a friend of mine at the time, right? I've lost touch with him right now. But basically he says that, you know, that they, they, they say we don't need to be like David. Uh, God will say that I already created one David, I don't need another David. And sometimes I've even heard um, some other, you know, they're not to be emulated, it seems. They've, their whole theology is slightly different. Whereas for Muslims and that, you know, you revere the prophets in a way that you want to emulate them, right? That they are for emulation. And I think some of that is there in Christianity as well. So anyway, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, discusses all the emotions and gives the Prophet sallallahu and the Muslims, he gives them a lot of bashara. He gives them a lot of glad tidings that don't worry, you're going to be, inshallah, you will, uh, you, you, you will not be destroyed. And inshallah, eventually, uh, not just this will you win, but you're going to win a lot more after that. And that's why just within a few decades, they'd taken over that, that, that Roman Empire I talked about. Right? A, lot of their lands, uh, a lot of their lands were taken over and the whole Persian Empire was just gone, totally dissolved because of internal wranglings and there are many, many reasons of that. So again, if people really think about this surah and really think about it and Muslims were to really wake up to this surah, inshallah they can really get a lot out of it just like the people earlier in Medina Muna when they read this and what they got from this inshallah the Muslims of today can also get the same thing if they think about this and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says at the end right it's not the end verse but it's the end of this theme so all these verses All of that is giving glad tidings to the believers So Allah says in this 27 verse And Allah will, will make you the inheritor of their land And their, their, their abodes and their places And their wealth And also land that you've not even set foot on yet Right? Land that you've never even thought about that you would set foot on, right? you would get that as well. Allah has ability over everything. That's a promise. Right? 
Right, from verse 28 onwards, that theme continues. It's about the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, right, which we will discuss tomorrow because that continues into the next juz. So inshallah, we will discuss that tomorrow. So that is the ending of our uh, of this surah of ours. And I've pointed out to you all the major uh, verses that I wanted to point it out to you. Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed to complete it. It did take a few uh, extra minutes compared to yesterday. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us with this. Just a quick uh, summary then is we start off the 21st juz with the ankabut right the the end of the ankabut discusses that you need to ponder over the heavens and the earth and how that will eventually lead you to the guidance then we have the beginning of surah al-rum and the major defeat suffered by the romans but then the promise that within maximum 9 years they will be dominant again and then that happening uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then basically tells off the mushrikeen about their avoidance and their negligence of the hereafter and so on, that that is an illness, you should overcome that. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a number of evidences about the creation of the human being and, uh, and, and basically the way the world works and the rain and so on. Then there's a verse which I didn't mention, it's fitratullahi allati fataran nasa alayha. Right, so the fitra verse is verse 30 of Surah Al-Rum, right? Verse 30 of Surah Al-Rum where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and direct your face to the deen, uh, the, the monotheistic deen. This basically, this deen is the fitra of Allah that he basically created people upon. So it's the natural faith of people, of all human people. Right? Islam is the natural faith. Once they remove the biases, they will be able to find that. And there can be no change in the creation of Allah. That means they will not ever find satisfaction in anything else. Even though they may get pleasures and enjoyment and all of that, they won't have the true heartfelt satisfaction. Right? And this is the straight path, but the majority of people do not know. This is the straight deen majority of people do not know. So that's a very important verse uh, to think about as well. And then Surah Al-Luqman discusses all of the uh, uh, starts off with the discussion of the muhsineen, right? Those people who do good and their characteristics. Then the uh, all the counsels of Luqman to his son, which I won't necessarily repeat to you. At the end of it, it's basically telling people to prepare for the day of judgment, right? Which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. And then the five keys of the unseen I mentioned. Surah to Sajda then started off with the story of creation again. And then after that, the ending of people to paradise or hell. And then, of course, some of the characters of believers are mentioned in there, and especially sabr and yaqeen and conviction. Patience and conviction is discussed. Then the end of the surah is to, again, tell us to think about the signs of Allah. And then Surah Al-Ahzab speaks about inviting the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, telling him to uh, fear Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And, you know, when people tell you, fear Allah, right? And you get angry, like, why is he telling me to fear Allah? Don't I fear Allah? Or do they think I'm less than that? Well, what's very interesting is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this to his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So why should you feel bad about it? When people tell you, ya, ya, uh, uh, Allah is telling the Prophet, Ya yuhan nabiyu, ittaqillah. Right? This is kind of an Arab kind of, uh, they, they say this a lot when somebody is doing something weird. They say, ittaqillah, ya khi. And when people say that to you, you feel like, uh, you know, what, what have I done wrong? Right? It's like the self-purification. 
So that's why the Prophet ﷺ is being said the same thing. So why should you feel bad about it? And then the last part of it, which we're going to look at tomorrow, is discussing Mahatul Mu'minin after mentioning of the battles and so on, the Banu Quraidah and the and the Ahzab, the Khandaq and the trench. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala accept from us. Allah accept these efforts from people who will sit and listen for this long, and uh, those who facilitate this. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. May Allah bless.